Well, today is the, the special day that we call Resurrection Day. The world refers to it as Easter, but it's the, the time that we celebrate the remembrance of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And there is, there is much biblically that goes into this day beyond what we kind of traditionally look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's life, is, is, as we've seen over this past year looking at the shadow of Christ, his very life, his birth, his, his, his living, the things that he proclaimed in his death, burial, and resurrection are all attested to in the Old Testament prophetically. And so I would like for you to turn today to that great resurrection passage, Leviticus 23. Uh, as we start off our, our, our looking to the, the celebration of Christ being the first fruits. And so Leviticus 23, it's the, the portion of Scripture where where Yahweh, God, speaking through Moses, proclaims to the, 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 the Israelites the Feast of Israel, the, the feast that they were supposed to uh, remember and to, to, to show um, throughout their times together. And so we have been, over this past year, been looking at the shadow of Christ within the context of focusing on the Christ. And we've been looking at Christ as being um, the Creator. We've seen Him as the Son of Man. We've seen Him as the Redeemer. We've seen him as the Passover lamb. We saw him last week as the, the sin sacrifice. And I, I am really, I was rejoicing last week as I was preparing that message because I was looking ahead, you know, at what I was, what the plan was. And I realized that, that God had worked it out so that on this day, the next topic we would be looking at is Christ being the, the first fruits. And it really, today, being the, the commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. And so, what an awesome time. I mean, we just can, for, as a pastor, I just continue on in my series. That works real well, you know. But we, we actually have that which puts together. And so I'm always awestruck. I shouldn't be, but I am. Always awestruck how God works out the details. And so I see some of you squinting, some of you having your hands in front of your face because you're facing the sunrise. And this is kind of awesome. I won't ask the question how many... For, of you, this is the first sunrise you've ever seen. But um, anyways, we'll, we'll go on from there. But in Leviticus 23, I want to begin reading in verse 9. Um, in the first eight verses, we read about the, the, the first two feasts, if you would. One, the first one is the weekly Shabbat, the weekly Sabbath. And we saw when we went on our very first message how Jesus is the, the Lord, Yahweh of Sabbath. He is the, the, the Lord of the rest. And so we talked about that already. And we saw in verses 4 to 8, there's the, the talking about the Feast of Passover. And we've already discussed Jesus being the Passover lamb. But in verse 9, we pick up in what is referred to as the, um, the, the, the Feast of first fruits. And so, if you don't mind, actually, I'm going to start in verse 4 to, to bring it in context. It's, These are the feasts of, the, of Yahweh. Holy convocations. Now, I want you to remember that word, holy convocations, because it's a special word. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight, it is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to Yahweh. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to Yahweh for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation as well. You shall do no customary work on it. 
Now, as Yahweh spoke to Moses, and Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before Yahweh to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. Note, it's a, it's a um, uh, definitive. The day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to Yahweh. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to Yahweh for a sweet aroma, and its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain, until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now, first of all, as we've been looking throughout the year, we want to look at the practical application of the passage, and then we're going to look at the prophetical application. But first of all, real quickly, the practical application of the passage. In this, we look at the timing of the feast. Okay? Now, this is all going to be important when we come to the prophetical side. The timing of the feast. When was the Feast of first fruits supposed to be celebrated? Now, if you look down in verse 11, we're told that this was supposed to be offered, the first fruits were supposed to be offered in, to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The question you should have is, what Sabbath? Because if you go back earlier in Leviticus 23, remember what I just I told you, the first feast, if you would, was the weekly Shabbat, the weekly Sabbath. And so if it was a weekly Sabbath, the question you should have is, which weekly Sabbath? I mean, according to our calendar, how many Sabbaths are there? Approximately 52, 53. Okay? So there are potentially 53, 52, 53 Sabbaths in a year. Does that make sense? So which one of those Sabbaths is the Sabbath? But there was a special wording that I told you to take note of as we begin to read. Do you remember when we read through the Passover account? It said that the 15th day of Nisan was a what? A holy convocation. Those were, if you would, high Sabbaths. High Sabbaths. Those were special days when no work was to be done. The Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, was a weekly day when no work was to be done, but rather we were supposed to focus on the Lord. Does that make sense? But during this special feast of Passover and unleavened bread, there were actually two, two special holy convocations, two special Shabbats, two special Sabbaths that were to be set apart unto the Lord. The 15th day of Nisan was that first of those holy Sabbaths. That was the Sabbath that is being referred to right here. So if you go back, if you remember this, okay, this is important again for us as well, we'll talk about this in a moment, that the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 actually has a, a very detailed account of how it was supposed to be celebrated. On the 10th day of Nisan, on the 10th day of Nisan, the, the children of Israel were supposed to select their Passover lamb. It was supposed to be a lamb without blemish. And for the next four days, from the 10th day of Nisan to the 14th day of Nisan, they were supposed to be examining the lamb. Do you remember we talked about this a little bit last week as well? They were supposed to be examining the lamb to make sure that the lamb was out without blemish. And then on the 14th day of Nisan, at twilight, and that's here in Leviticus 23 as well, as well as in Exodus chapter 12, at the 14th day of Nisan, at twilight, now that was the end of the day for the Jews. Remember, for the Jewish calendar, the day began in the evening, at sunset. 
Okay? And so we see in Genesis chapter 1, there was evening and there was morning the first day, and then the second day, the third day. So for the Jewish calendar, for the Jewish, um, where there we go, they actually begin, we're in the middle of the day right now. Okay? Toward, you know, um, but for them, the day begins at sunset. So the twilight on the 14th of Nisan was toward the end of the day, on the 14th day. So that would be beginning around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So from 3 to 6 in the afternoon was twilight. So at twilight on the 14th day of Nisan, there's a reason I'm going through all this, okay? Uh, the twilight on the 14th day of Nisan, that Passover lamb was supposed to be sacrificed. That evening would begin the 15th day of Nisan. Makes sense, right? Okay? So they would then eat that Passover lamb at the beginning of the 15th day of Nisan. They would roast that Passover lamb, and then they would eat it at the beginning of the 15th day of Nisan. And that 15th day of Nisan actually indicated the beginning of the next feast, and that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Passover actually was a one-day feast on the 14th day of Nisan, and then you had a seven-day feast that came on the heels of that, beginning on the 15th day of Nisan, and that was called Unleavened Bread. Today, those two feasts are blended together for the Jews. You will not see the Feast of Unleavened Bread if you look at a Jewish calendar. You'll see Passover, and Passover lasts eight days. And that the 14th day of Nisan is referred to as the Preparation Day, because that's the day for Jews, even today, that they go around and they, they clearly clean their house. They get rid of all the leaven, all the dust that's in their house. They dust everything. Okay? You know how you want to do that spring cleaning and you're probably still missing something? It doesn't happen in a Jewish household. They clean everything because they're to- totally getting rid of all the leaven. So when they go into the 15th day of Nisan, it is a holy convocation of the Lord. There is no work to be done at all. Now we're told in Leviticus 23 that the first day of the week, the first first day of the week, Okay, and that would begin at sunset on Saturday. So last evening it would begin. The first first day of the week after the Shabbat of Passover, so after the 15th day of Nisan, then they would have the Feast of First Fruits. Does that make sense? Okay. So, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the next day, the day after the Shabbat, the day after the Shabbat of um, Passover. Okay, so the day after the Shabbat, of Passover. And so if you look at this year's calendar, um, Passover, in first day of unleavened bread, is actually April 19th and 20th. Okay, it was this week earlier. Okay, and um, the Feast of Weeks, or what you refer to as Pentecost, is in June. Okay, because they count 50 Shabbats from that time. Okay, and, and they, they determine 50th, the 50th day. So if you look at it, this is all kind of attested to if you look at the Jewish calendars today. Okay. And you'll see that. Now, so the timing of the feast was that it would be the, the day after that Shabbat. Now, you're going to see what's kind of fun about this and exciting about this as it occurs to the resurrection in just a moment when we get to the prophetic side. But first, before we go on, what was the purpose of the feast? Does anybody see what the purpose of the feast would be? First of all, it acknowledged that God was what? The owner of everything. It acknowledged the ownership of God. God owned everything. And so when they offered up that, that, that gift of the first fruits to God, they were acknowledging the fact that everything they had, everything they owned, actually belonged to, to God. And secondly, that he was, it was the provision of God. If you went out into your fields and you start reaping in 
right now, okay? Would you be getting the entirety of your crop right now? No, what would you be getting? Just the stuff that you know actually came in, okay? And so if I took everything that I got right now and I brought it to the assembly and I gave it to everybody here, you know, instead of because we don't really bring it to a temple and burn it, right? So if I brought it here and I gave it to everybody else, what, had I, what do I have no assurance of for the rest of the year? Food. Because I just gave away my first fruits. You get it? I'm counting on God to do what? Allow me to reap the rest of my harvest. If God would allow the worm to come into my crops, I've now given away everything. Do you get it? And so we talked earlier, um, weeks ago, a couple months ago, with Jesus being the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the Melchizedekian priest, and we talked about Abram in the giving of tithe, and I asked you the question back at that time, are you a tither or are you a tipper? Because God expects us to give him the first fruits, and he expects it to be at least a tenth, a tithe. So the very first tenth, at least, minimum, that I get in ought to go to God. And it's not the leftover tenth, it is the first fruits. God wants the first fruits. Now for those be a little bit more detailed here. This is the practical side, okay? And they say, man, this is Easter. You're not supposed to pick on this, okay? But it's in the passage. It's the first fruits. So that means that as I give unto the Lord, I don't give unto the Lord after my taxes. I give unto the Lord before Uncle Sam takes his cut. Because otherwise, who gets the first fruits? Uncle Sam. Okay? And I, I like Uncle Sam. We're out, well, we're outside. We're having freedom. You know, we're not inside, not, sing, you know, not singing out loud. We don't live in China. We don't live in Indonesia. And though our religious freedoms are being pressed right now and being, being uh, eliminated more and more, we still have the freedom to openly gather together and praise God and to evangelize and witness for his name. And I hope that you're doing that. And so I'm okay with Uncle Sam taking its portion. That actually goes all the way back to Joseph in the land of Egypt. And you should be thankful because Joseph actually instituted a 20% tax across the board. Most people today are talking about a flat tax are not talking 20%. But if you go back to the book of Genesis and you look at Joseph being the man of God, when he was in, in Egypt, he instituted one-fifth, 20%, as the straight tax, as the flat tax. Okay? So if you're into the flat tax and you want to be biblical, you ought to be looking at 20% going to the government. Ouch! <laughs> man, I didn't think it was supposed to be political. Anyways, that's just a little on the side. Okay? It's always amazing to me to people that are against taxes. Taxation is important. It's in the Bible. Give the... Give the Caesar the things that are Caesar. Give the tax to tax whom taxes are due. Honor to whom honors do. So, but the first fruits then belong to God. They belong to God. And God says if you're not giving them, that you are stealing from him. In fact, if you would, keep your finger there. Okay, well, in fact, you can just turn. Let's turn to Proverbs 3. If you have the sermon note sheets, you have some other verses that you can look up. But I think it's important for us to look at some of this stuff. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, and this will be the last comment I make about this, I promise. But it is on tape, and if you want a copy of it, or on, on DVD, you know, digital, if you want to be challenged by this over and over again, you can get a copy of it. In Proverbs 3, look at verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor Yahweh with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. I'm constantly amazed in my budgeting, in my checkbook, that I have money at times. I mean, there have been months that I haven't been able to pay myself in the, in the business. Like months stretched. 
and yet to be able to have the funds there still to give to God what he has burdened upon me to give to him and to pay my bills and to still to do extras. It's mind-boggling. Math, mathematically, it doesn't make sense to me. But God has promised this promise. Okay? Now, I know people say it's, it's, a, it's a general principle, and it is. But I think when God puts it out there, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, you can read those as well, that God loves the cheerful giver, and that, that he will also bless those who give abundantly to him. And so that if you give abundantly to God, and the first fruits belong to him, that God has promised that he will always take care of you. And literally here he says that your barns will what? They're overflowing. Your vats will overflow. That's the wheat and that's the wine. He says, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure you have food to eat and you have drink to drink. I'll take care of your needs. God will take care of you. Now, what's exciting for us, though, and that's why we're here today, is the prophetical prophetical application, the prophetical fulfillment of this feast. And that is that Jesus is um, the first fruits of the dead. That practical application, if you're filling that out, that was the first fruits of the land. But Jesus is the first fruits of the dead. Now, as we look at then Jesus being the first fruits of the dead, and we read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that when Jesus raised from the dead, he became the first fruits of the dead. The first thing I want to look at again is the timing. Now, if you remember, go back. I spent a lot of time talking about the timing then of the Feast of First Fruits, and there was a reason. The Feast of First Fruits actually is contained within the second feast, and that is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, if you look at the Jewish calendar, you won't see the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you know what else you won't see? The Feast of First Fruits. Isn't that interesting? You'll see the Feast of Passover, but you won't see the Feast of First Fruits for them. But we know biblically from Leviticus 23, from the Torah, from the law, which they would look to, okay, when that Feast of First Fruits is. And it's important to me because all these feasts of Israel, God had a purpose for them. He didn't just put things out to make them do things. But they all pointed to Christ. The spring feast pointed to Christ's coming. The fall feast point to his return. Okay? And it's a neat thing to look at. If you've never really done the research on it, if you've never studied it out, I want to challenge you to do that, encourage you to do that, okay? And so as we look then at these, at these feasts that are all wrapped together, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Firstfruits, Jesus' resurrection being the, the fulfillment of Firstfruits, we know that they begin on Nisan 10, the 10th day of Nisan, on which day the Passover lamb would be what? Chosen. Interestingly, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on that first day of the week, when he entered in that triumphal entry, it was the 10th day of Nisan. And in that moment, unbeknownst to the children of Jerusalem, children of Israel, they were choosing their Passover lamb. They thought, a portion of them thought, that they were welcoming in Messiah, which they were. But they expected Messiah to be what? Political. That he was going to come in, he was going to unseat the, the Roman government, and he was going to reign on the, the seat of David. That's going to happen one day. We're looking forward to that occurring again. <clears throat> But Jesus had already prophesied and predicted that he was going to go into Jerusalem and that he was going to be beaten, he was going to be whipped, he was going to be scourged, he was going to be crucified, and on the third day he was going to raise from the dead. He had already predicted that. So it wasn't something that should have taken the disciples off guard because he had already declared that it was going to be so. So on the tenth day of Nisan, when he enters in and everyone is shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he that is the son of David, right? 
they are actually proclaiming that Jesus is this Passover lamb. Now, the next three days, four days, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, where does he go? He goes to the temple. And he, and he, and he cleans the temple, right? He says, you know, my, my father said this is to be a house of prayer, but you made it into a den of thieves. And then what happens while he's there, though? He's continually questioned by the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, okay, and everybody else, trying to deter- find out some sin in him or cause him to sin. As Jesus is arrested and he's placed into the, the hands of, first of all, the Sanhedrin, and then into the Pontius Pilate, and then he sent to Herod, and then he sent back the Pontius Pilate. In each one of those places, he is put on trial. And in each one of those trials, they're trying to find blame in him. In fact, Pontius Pilate comes out and says what? I find no fault in this man. Uh, and he says, I washed my hands of, of this innocent man's blood. I mean, here's a Roman trial. And Pontius Pilate says, this guy is what? He's innocent. And so we know from last week, looking at the sin sacrifice, that Jesus was tempted in every way, such as we are, yet he was without sin. And so for those, those first three, four days then, from the 10th day of Nisan to the 14th day of Nisan, Jesus is being tried. Now those first three days are in, in the temple. The final day is under trial. I believe then, when Jesus went and he asked his disciples to go set the preparation for the Passover, that was Wednesday night. Okay? So you say, now why do you believe that? Let's look at the Bible to see. Let's turn to John chapter 19. Now, I don't care whether you believe in Good Friday or Good Thursday or Good Wednesday, as long as you believe in what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter which day he died. It just matters what? That he rose from the dead. That's exactly right. It doesn't say in 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ be not crucified on the Thursday, then our faith is in vain. Okay? It says if Christ be not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain. But I think this is important in, in that you'll see this, and so I'm not building my case just to say that Jesus died on a Thursday, but you'll see the importance of this in a moment. Okay? But in John 19, in verse 31, we see that, therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was what? A high day. There would be no reason for them to tell us that this was that Sabbath was a high day if it wasn't a high Sabbath. Okay, I'll get back to that in a moment. Remember, I, I shared with that earlier, and I'll come back and I'll describe what that means. Okay, so it was the day before Shabbat, and it was that Shabbat was going to be a, a high Shabbat, a high Sabbath. Drop down to verse 42. So they're late. There they lay Jesus because the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. So, on the, prepar- on the, the Shabbat, on a Shabbat, they weren't allowed to do what? They weren't allowed to work. Okay, so taking Jesus' body down from the, the cross would have been work. But for them as well, it would have been an awful thing to leave the body hanging up there on a high Sabbath, on this holy convocation, this un- day of unleavened bread, this holy convocation of the Lord, to have a dead body when they were supposed to have no leaven in the land. Do you get it? 
So the 14th day of Nisan, they're supposed to be getting rid of the leaven. And so if they leave this leaven on the cross, if you would, okay, it would be a sacrilege to, the, to, their, to their feast. And they would have to come down the next day and work in order to take the body down, which they can't do. Okay, so they say no. Now, turn with me to Matthew 27. I was going to make a comment, but I'm going to hold it back to read Matthew passage, and then, then you'll see what it is. Thank you. Bless you. Matthew 27. It was in my Bible earlier today. It's still there somewhere. Verse 62. Okay? On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Until what day? Until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say he is dead. So the last deception will be worse than the, the first. So Pilate said, You have a guard. Go make it as secure as you can. Now look down to verse 1 of 28. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now we read that this morning, and we know what happens. They see the stone rolled away, right? And so we see that the day after the preparation day, which would have been what? A Sabbath, okay? Not only a Sabbath, but it would be the Sabbath, the holy convocation, the high Sabbath of unleavened bread, that they came to Pilate and they asked for this guard. Okay, he gives it to them, and then the next thing we read, the next thing we read, in, in verse 1 of 28, and after the Sabbath. How many, if, if you know Greek, I want to challenge you for this, because some of you do, you've gone through the Greek class. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28, and see what it says regarding the Sabbath. It actually has the word sabbaton, which is the plural And so literally what it says is, after the Sabbaths, after the Sabbaths, the women came. You say, Sabbaths? How do we get Sabbaths? Remember, you have a weekly Shabbat, a weekly Sabbath, and then during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the first day, the 15th day of Nisan, is a holy convocation. It is a high Sabbath. And so follow with me, track with me a moment. If if the first day of the week was Nisan 10, okay? That began on Saturday at sunset and went to Sunday at sunset. And that was the day that Jesus came in, what we call Palm Sunday, last Sunday. Okay? And he was chosen as a Passover lamb. And then he would have been what? Checked out for the next four, four days to the 14th day of Nisan, which was the preparation day or the day that we refer to as Passover, literally. And on that 14th day of Nisan at twilight, the Passover lamb was supposed to be crucified or to be, I'm sorry, sacrificed. Okay? And so if we have then Sunday is the 10th day, Monday is the 11th day, Tuesday is the 12th day, Wednesday is the 13th day, Thursday would be what? The 14th day of Nisan. And at twilight, on the 14th day of Nisan, then the Passover lamb was supposed to be sacrificed. And do you know, when Jesus was, gave up the ghost, we're told specifically, and you can check me out on this one, that he hung on the cross from the 6th hour until the ninth hour. That was noon until 3 o'clock. And at the ninth hour, he gave up the ghost. That was 3 o'clock, exactly when the priest would start offering the Passover lamb at the temple. And as he died, there was an earthquake. 
and the, and, the, and the veil in the temple was ripped in two. Chaos occurred in the temple. Do you know what they couldn't do? They couldn't offer the, the Passover lamb. Why? Because the Passover lamb was just sacrificed. Do you get it? Now, so that's it, right? And so at, 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 in the evening, on Thursday night then, what we would call Thursday night, but that would be the beginning of the 15th day, that began the what? The high Sabbath, right? And so that would begin Thursday night and last all through Friday. That would be the Holy Convocation. But what would begin at Friday sunset? A weekly Sabbath. And so you would have a Sabbath and a Sabbath right next to each other. You can't do work either one of those days. And so the woman come, right, and along with Joseph and Nicodemus, they put Jesus' body in the tomb, and then guess what? After the Sabbaths, plural, they would come to the tomb. Now Jesus said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. You can't get that from Friday. Try it. Try to get three days and three nights from Friday, according to a Jewish calendar. But on Thursday, you have Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay? The 14th day, the 15th day, the 16th day of Nisan as daytime. Then you have the 15th day, the 16th day, and the 17th day of nighttime. And so the first, think about this, the first day after the Sabbath that they could celebrate another feast would have been when? The first day of the week. The 17th day of Nisan which is the first day of the week, which we declare to be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The feasts of Israel from Leviticus 23 fit perfectly with what Christ, with God has declared about the coming of Christ and about his crucifixion. Jesus is the fulfillment of the first fruits. And so the timing of this is just a fabulous, uh, phenomenal thing that God had declared thousands of years before it ever happened. So what's the impact? Well, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Steve read earlier, that Christ has become the first fruit of the, of the dead. When Jesus Christ came, we're told in the book of Hebrews, that he came to have victory over who? Who, who, did, who did Christ have victory over? And I say who specifically? Hebrews chapter 4. Does anybody know? Satan. Very good, Andrew. Come on now, guys. The little kid knew it. Okay? He had the victory over Satan. Okay? And who was Satan? He's the one who has the power over death. Satan's name in Revelation is Abaddon and Apollyon. He's the destroyer. He's the one who, who wants to destroy you. The one who brings death. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 later on that the, the, the power of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. Do you get it? And so it's through the law when God declares what sin is that Satan wants you to what? Sin so that you can what? Die. But Jesus Christ came and he was raised from the dead to give you victory over death. He's the first fruits of the dead. And I don't care whether you're saved or not here today. No, I do care. But understand what I'm going to say. You are going to experience a resurrection. Every person on the face of this earth, they may be sleeping in their beds, 
they may get up and have no desire to even worship Jesus Christ and God the Father because of this special day. But they will participate in the resurrection of the dead. Even though they haven't got a clue. And it's all because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now we're told that some are going to be raised to life and some are going to be raised to eternal condemnation. Every single person on the face of this earth is going to live, if you would, eternally. It's just a matter of whether they're going to live in the presence of God or live in the absence of God, which is what we call hell. That's the place of torment, where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of utter darkness, total separation. But heaven is to be in God's presence and to be in his glory. That's what we celebrate today. We celebrate Jesus being the first fruits of the dead and giving you and I then that, that, that privilege of raising with him. And we're told then as well that he has become the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. You know what's so exciting is that Jesus Christ didn't just raise from the dead so that we could be raised from the dead, but that he was raised from the dead so he'd be firstborn among many brethren. And that means that if you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that you shall be saved. See, he could have just been raised from the dead and emancipated you from death so that you could go to hell the rest of eternity. Would that be just? It would be just. Because we all deserve it. But when he raised from the dead, he also gave us power to believe. He gave us the privilege to be called the sons of God. That he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And we're told as well that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you get it? I don't don't think we ever do. I don't think we can totally wrap our hands around what it means to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means that all the riches of God have been given to you as well. And so we're told in the book of Ephesians about the, the, the riches that are waiting for the saints. It's mind-boggling. And that's all because of this. Sometimes we struggle getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning for a sunrise service. But you know what? I would challenge you that you should be getting up at least 7 o'clock and maybe earlier every day so you can have time with God and His Word. You can give Him the first fruit of your day instead of the leftovers. Sometimes God gets the leftovers. But I challenge you that if you give God the first fruits of your day, just as your barns are overflowing and your vats are overflowing, your time will be overflowing. Jesus Christ is the first fruits. God gave his best for you. What are you giving for him? Have you, have you celebrated, truly celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we're here to do today? Do you know where you're going to go when you die? Do you know that you're going to be resurrected from the dead to eternal life? And are you offering God the first fruits of your time, your talents, and your treasures? I want to challenge you to praise God today for his triumph over sin in the grave. Not just right now, but throughout the day. And then tomorrow, when you wake up to recall what he's done for you and to give him the glory as well. Let's take our hymnals and turn to Jesus Christ.